Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Goway, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out all the stuff that we've been riding and reviewing recently over at blisterreview.com. Okay, this week on Bikes and Big Ideas, I'm talking with Mick Hanna, who just announced his retirement from racing World Cup downhill. We look back on Mick's incredibly successful career, and he tells some great stories along the way, but Mick also makes it clear that he's got a lot more left to do in the bike world. And so we also chat about what the future holds, both for Mick personally and the sport at large. This is a really great one, so let's get right into it. Well, hey Mick, great to have you on, and thanks for joining us. How are you today, and where are you today? Yeah, I'm doing great, thank you. I'm in Buena Vista in Colorado. That's where I've been living for quite a while now. Um, just getting some family time and trying to have a rest. It's always always feel a little bit mentally fatigued at the end of a season. Yeah, don't doubt it. And I'm just curious to sort of hear kind of how your fall riding season's been and what you've been up to since getting home from Snowshoe. I wouldn't be surprised if you were either saying you were just stoked to have time to sort of ride for yourself and getting out a lot or if you were more like, well, tired and ready for a break and just haven't been on the bike much at all. Yeah, well, actually, since Snowshoe, I went to went to BC in Canada for Crankworks BC, and we raced quite a lot over two weeks. And then I went down to Monterey in California and raced the Sea Otter Classic. So I've just been home for a week and kind of been struggling to drag myself out of bed every morning, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, just really just getting some time with the kids and, and with my wife and relaxing. Yeah, sounds good. Seems like you've you've earned that busy schedule there, yeah. really, all over the place. Let's maybe circle back and start from the beginning. One of the things I was really interested to hear a little bit about, you started racing BMX before you ever got into mountain bikes, if I have it right. And I think your first BMX World Championships were in 1994 when you would have been, what, 11 at that point? How did, how did you get started in that and how did that experience of showing up at Worlds that young go? And tell us about that whole story a little bit. So I started racing BMX when I was six. We moved from a rural area into into town and there was an advertisement for a new BMX club that was opening. So I really wanted to do that and finally talked my parents into taking us down there. And yeah, that quickly, I'm quite competitive. So that quickly developed into racing and and my dad said, if you want to keep doing this, then we'll start training for it. So and and then when I was 10 years old when I got to it was actually national champs dad said if you if you win national champs then we'll see what we can do about getting you to world champs which was actually in Detroit that year so okay so take it then you you did go out and win nationals and just all of a sudden you were flying off to the states for for that world's that that must have been quite a quite a whirlwind thing at that age yeah it was crazy and we i mean as I said, I grew up kind of in a rural area and traveling to America was kind of just something you saw on movies in my life. But yeah, but we lived in a little town, kind of the size of Buena Vista, I guess, back then. And the whole town felt, certainly as a kid, it felt like the whole town got together and raised money for us to go. And then dad and I went with the Aussie team. And I mean, the racing was big and scary and all the like the pros that were over here that I'd only seen in magazines, you know. So that was just an amazing experience as a kid, and and also some of the most memorable things were just seeing Detroit and 
we got to go to the Henry Ford Museum and see all that and just um, it really opened my eyes and made me look forward to traveling more, I think. Yeah, that's got to be a pretty incredible experience to have at that age. And the bit about getting how the whole town getting together and raising money is just making me picture like basically the real life version of the movie Rad. Probably, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> probably pretty off base. I watched but, that uh, movie quite a lot. <laughs> thought that popped in there. Mm-hmm. And then from there, how the transition to mountain bikes come about? Where along did that come? Yeah, so I was about twelve or so, and I went to. Uh, a Christian youth mountain bike camp and I just took my BMX along and I met a guy there who was about my age and his dad came to help take us all for a ride one day because he has a mountain bike tour business which he actually still runs back home in Cairns and they lent me bikes and took me to races a couple of times just like the local races and I fell in love fell in love with the riding, riding downhill in the woods. and But we actually raced cross-country first, the first few times, and I just loved it. I loved the culture, and everybody, all the riders were just friends with each other. BMX is a little bit more of a competitive environment, so it was, it was just fun to hang out with the mountain bikers, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, someone who is, like, my start in mountain biking was also racing XC and roughly around that same time, I guess. And uh, it definitely did feel like the sport was just not nearly as mainstream as it is now. And it was kind of this little, little cult of weirdos out riding bikes in the woods. And it felt very much like a, yeah, just a small community of people and no one was taking it super seriously. And it was just kind of relaxed and fun. And that was, that was a cool time. That definitely explains it. Well, we're just, it's like a group of guys up in the woods and finding big rocks or shoots or whatever to ride and see who can ride stuff that the other guys can't or whatever and pushing each other and just having a good time together. Pretty similar to how things were over here too. It's good. So, yeah, well, I guess from there, I mean, take us through how your career progressed at that point, how you got into racing DH and sort of your start on the World Cup scene there. How did things progress? Yeah, well, I was just, like I said, I was racing locally and and I'd been at quite a high level in BMX for a few years. I won national champs three times in BMX and I guess that competitive nature and I just wanted to train and wanted to get faster and also there was a couple of guys from Cairns where I'm from who were already on the World Cup circuit so we had those guys to look up to and to show us that it's actually possible. Um, kind of just one thing led to another, really. I won races at home, and then we traveled a little bit, and I won races away, and then went to national champs, and won national champs, and then somebody, again, somebody raised the money for me to go to world championships in 2000 when I was uh, 16, and got second there as well. I got second at the BMX world champs back, in 94 and then got got second again in Spain and that was a rough week for me I had kind of a long story but I had an infection in my leg during the week from just from something during practice and then I got food poisoning the night before the race so that was it's probably <laughs> that was one of the toughest weeks of my life really but um 
came away with second and and from that week I think maybe not not just the performance but how I handled the whole week I think somebody noticed Martin Whiteley was and he was starting up a new it was a brand new team and he put me on as a junior development rider so that was how I got my start I was 17 when I signed that contract yeah I mean really kind of what you've been doing your whole adult life to this point and it just cool hearing this sort of progression of how how it all kind of added up and how you got to that that spot and at sort of at what point in that whole progression did it sort of start to feel like did it really dawn on you that this was something that you could actually make a career doing and you know you did this kid getting into racing and loving riding bikes and all that like i think experience that a lot of us have had but when did it sort of click that oh man like this is something i can really do professionally for quite a while now that's a (laughs) that's a funny question because as i think about it from a day-to-day perspective throughout that process it was always like if someone gave me anything like if i got free tires or something it was like man that's amazing like it kind of made me feel so special and and that's at a small level but also when i was 10 or 11 i did an interview with somebody and he asked all like kind of the normal questions you'd ask an 11 year old kid. And one of them was, what are you going to be when you grow up? And my answer then was, I'm going to make money racing bikes. And <laughs> at that time I'd had never heard of mountain bikes. I was only 11 years old and I didn't really know why you needed money. I just knew adults made money. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it is something that I always had. Like I just believed since I was a kid yeah so that it's fun to think think back on that especially at this time in my career where i'm trying to sort through different ideas of what i want to do and and it's sometimes it's really hard to have confidence and i'll look back at my 10 year old self and think man why can't i just be like him <laughs> this sort of gets a little bit one of the things i wanted to ask next too is that kind of back in those early days of your kind of world cup dh career it was pretty typical for the guys in the circuit to be racing not only dh but also slalom four cross a bunch of other disciplines and you certainly were in on that as well but it was just kind of the norm at that point and just interesting just for talking to people who have had a career as lengthy as yours to sort of think about how the sport has evolved and changed over the course of it and sort of how did it come about that that change occurred from it being pretty typical to kind of race a whole bunch of different disciplines and be dabbling in a whole bunch of different stuff to sort of realizing, Oh, actually, if we're really going to be doing this at the top level, we need to be focusing on DH and kind of paring down the focus somewhat. What was that transition like and how did that come about? Yeah, that's, um, that's something I've thought about quite a bit, actually. The, I love doing both events, whether it was four cross or slalom four cross. I was a little bit less like, I was kind of burnt out on that style of racing from BMX and having it's kind of a selfish perspective, I guess, but having somebody else dictate my result was quite frustrating for me. And, and because my passion, my main passion was downhill, then I didn't do the, I didn't put the work in for the starts, which was really critical for four cross, but slalom, I just love slalom. It's, that's a really fun event. It's fun to watch. And it's like, all the competitors are having a good time with each other. It's never 
like you just beat the other guy or not and it usually comes down to whichever one has clean runs in the end because I mean at that level the top 10 guys are all pretty well matched for speed so but then yeah people just started focusing like you said and there's a couple of guys that just focused on downhill and a couple of guys that were focused on forecross and you had to pick one kind of thing and you it was it became really a disadvantage to race forecross on Saturday night and then have to race downhill on Sunday or even if the events were switched in order in the schedule you still had to go through practice and all that and it really was just it's just it's sad to see that go but it was also exciting for me to see the sport that I love getting more and more professional and the riders becoming athletes the top few riders have always been good athletes but now it's like the top 80 riders are good athletes so that's been a fun progression to watch um we've been talking about that a little bit i've had a couple of conversations about slalom and forecross and in the last couple of weeks and one thing i think like if it was to come back it would have to be kind of forced to do it in a way like what they do with cross country because they have short track two days before the XC and that determines start position and they get World Cup overall points for that. So that would be, I'm not sure if the riders would accept it, but um, that would be the only way to bring it back, I think. So, yeah, it does sort of seem like even just at the amateur level, slalom and four cross are kind of fading out. I mean, I remember when I was racing DH 15 years ago now. So, you know, it'd be... You know, not at a particularly high level, but you'd have a lot of the East Coast races. You'd have, uh, you know, DH practice on on Saturday, and then there'd be a super informal slalom race that night with people drinking beers and kind of more party times vibes than anyone taking it super seriously. But there was at least slalom racing happening at some form, and uh, I think that's mostly faded out too, even just in the amateur ranks. So at one point there was a quite a fun event it was like an industry slalom they'd have on a friday night or whatever at the world cups and all the mechanics or whoever was anyone except for the athletes were allowed to go and race and that was quite a fun thing but um i think the weeks have just gotten too busy with media and all that the media commitments are quite a lot nowadays and also a few of the staff got injured as well which that kind of shuts it down so (laughs) the team's the teams, yeah, mechanics. Right, having mechanics getting hurt and doing racing is probably not what you want. <laughs> but it's I'm actually seeing some positive, yeah, really positive growth in the U.S., especially with um, like Kyle Straits having his slalom, which is starting to be successful. And um, Nico Malelli's, um Downhill Southeast series is going well. And I think um, it's... As the racing scene gets more healthy again in the US, I think slalom slalom has to come back. Everybody loves it. And with having, like Nico's having 350 to 400 riders at each event, and they're basically just regional races. So with that many participants, I think um, it's ripe for bringing slalom back. Would love to see that happen. That'd be cool. And I guess on that note, I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are on just what does the U.S. need to do to get our DH race scene sort of back on track? It seems like it's 
maybe like you were saying, kind of on the upswing again, but after a pretty big lull of just things being disorganized and not not really running very well for a good while now. And I've you know, something I've been kicking around a lot, but haven't ever felt like I've landed on the silver bullet obvious solution of how to how to fix things. Do you have any thoughts there or how would you go about it? Yeah, I mean I don't really have an opinion. I don't feel like I have enough knowledge on that side, but I've been a, when I at the beginning of my career, I saw the sport globally, not just in the US was really dying. And I was like, man, are we going to even have a sport in 2 years, you know? So that was a serious question for me because it was like, am I going to keep investing so much into my career and it's not even going to exist in two years, you know, but I looked at some other sports and I think skating was one in particular where they really blew up in the first 10 or 15 years, like what downhill did. And, um, then they all died, died off. And then it kind of just slowly built again. And I've kind of just, guessed that that's what would happen with downhill or with mountain biking and and that's what i've seen it it really had a it was really low for a few years and then it's just slowly grown over the last 10 or 15 years so that's been really encouraging and to see see events like i think i've seen people try to just create a series in the u.s kind of out of thin air and and it hasn't worked and what I'm observing is someone like Nico Mullally is just, he's decided like, this is how I want a race to be. So I'm going to do it myself and I'll just set the race up like this. And they don't, they just do, they just focus on organizing it well and, and the riders are coming. And, and it's also a time when mountain biking is becoming mainstream and there's less of a stigma around mountain biking, I guess that's, there's been a real shift in the conversations I've had over the last 10 years where before it was like, I can't believe you're still alive because you ride a mountain bike. And now it's like, are there any green trails around because they want to actually come and ride, you know? So, um, that reputation and, and the development of the athletes as well is really good, really good for our sport in the beginning with a few of these extreme sports, there's just, it's kind of been people on the fringe and partying hard and not like, not necessarily, not bad people by any means, but just not, uh, I guess, socially accepted as much. And now you've got a good group of athletes that are presenting a more professional sport and it's just getting more respect. So I think that all of those factors are going to just, they're helping it grow and now I just that's just so cool for me to see like every town you go to has trails and they have a trail building plan and they have bike parks going in and they're like they're looking for funding or whatever they're arguing with the locals that don't want tourists to come to town and like I'm seeing that everywhere you know and that's just so exciting for me to see I love the sport I love the culture of the sport and as it's growing as it's grown it hasn't lost that kind of that feeling that we experienced in the beginning it's still and i can say like at the world cup level we're all just still friends riding in the woods and that's really i'm really proud of our sport for that 
another thing that that's bringing is you've got people who are smarter than us <laughs> who are like doing well at planning these mountain bike parks instead of before you just put it was just teenagers putting trails wherever and now it's it's actually I'm seeing towns that are actually planning around mountain bike tourism and building trails around town that encourages participation and and it also works well with people who don't want to be a part of it and um, that's only going to help our sport as well yeah for sure it's definitely good to have see how things are growing and being managed kind of in a more cohesive way and not just kind of yeah like you said random scattershot building happening here and there as it all goes and we you kind of touched on some of this a little bit but another thing that i wanted to ask about is just over the you know 20 years that you've been riding on the world cup circuit just how do you think the that particular scene has changed most dramatically in that time and it wouldn't surprise me if your answer was just like you already kind of said things becoming more professional and people training harder and taking it more seriously in those kinds of ways but maybe there's some other angle that i haven't thought of too what are your thoughts on that one positive thing is that it hasn't changed too much as far as the the personality and the culture of it. And and the other side is we like we all the athletes and the staff and that everybody's got more much more professional but also maintained the enjoyment of what we do and cuz you don't want to just turn it into a machine and that I don't think particularly downhill i don't think that would be good for the sport or it, i don't think it would it would just ruin what i what i love about it i guess but the that professionalism is the main thing and not that that it's not new to the sport there's always been a couple of people in it that are like that but now it's just the amount like everybody at a world cup is there like they're they're doing a professional job and that's really fun to see. And uh, the other thing that's obviously been a huge change is technology. The Obviously, the bike technology, handling, geometry, suspension, all that stuff, but also the safety, like the helmet safety is really improved and, and the awareness of safety on the courses is really improved. And we're going faster now than we ever have because we've got the bikes to do it. And, and I... I'm seeing less injuries. Some events it's like some events you'll have a certain feature that causes trouble, but it's more rare these days. And part of that is the athletes training well and not just kind of like there's not many guys that just drop in at the top of the hill and take a chance, you know, it's it's all very calculated. So to say that yeah, to say that the technology's gotten better or it's gotten more professional is like that is true and but that covers every aspect of the sport to your point about the just safety in terms of kind of course building and stuff too i think it does at least from my vantage seem like some of that's gotten a little bit better dialed into and you're not having these tracks with like one super weird feature that just is chewing people up and that seems like a pretty positive development as well just everyone's kind of getting things refined a little bit better on all kinds of fronts from training to the bikes to course building to just running an event and everything seems like it's a whole lot better dialed in than it was 10 years ago 
And also another thing is the the overall level of the riders has lifted. At the top, it's just incremental year by year as we learn and grow, but there's less of a gap between the first guy and the last guy now. And also the women, the women's field is just amazing at, at the moment. So that is that adds to the safety of it as well. And because you don't have you don't have a feature that's too small for the top ten and too big for the bottom ten, you know. So that's a that's a really cool thing to see. And that's just part of the growth of the sport. There's more people interested and more people putting like dedicating a lot of time into it. And it's fun to see that level. Like when you're at a World Cup now, everybody you see is an amazing bike rider. And at the beginning of my career, there was some people out there that it's like cool that they're there having a go, but they really have no place being there. So that's something that's been a cool, that's a really good change. Kind of keep it moving a little bit. You announced your retirement from racing World Cups shortly before the season wrapped up in Snowshoe this year. I'd be curious to hear, was that something that you'd been planning for quite a while and just kind of wanted to announce later in the season? Or had you been feeling it out over the course of the season and made the call relatively late to go, okay, this is the time to call it? Yeah, I I did make the call relatively late, but it is also something that's been on my mind for a while. And I would say not even just this season, but the last few years, like every year, it's a conversation between my wife and I, and we make a plan. Like, is this what we're going to keep doing? And, and yeah, this, this year it was my 20th pro season. So it was a good, that was a good marker. And, um, it would, for me to stay at the top level, we'd have to make some pretty big changes in, in our personal lives. And, um, which it was kind of 50 50 in it. But then it was uh, we came to the point where I've really loved the opportunity I've had and the career I've had, and it's been like when I first signed when I signed that first contract, I thought I clearly thought to myself, "Man, I hope I can do this for the next ten years," and I did it for twenty. So, and it's I mean, more than likely I'll be re- realistically doing it for the, for my whole working life because. I just love the industry. So I hope to stay involved long term. And yeah, I was, yeah, it's uh, satisfied with my career, I would say. That's how I felt. And it was scary to make the decision, obviously. That's like you say, since I was a teenager, that's kind of all I've ever known. But um, it felt good. Before I'd before we sent the press release out, I was nervous, and one day I'd be like, oh, "I just want to keep racing," and the next day I'd be like, oh, "I'm over this. I want to go home." And <laughs> and then, but as soon as we sent sent the release out, it just I I had a sense of relief and like satisfaction, like really I really have just amazing memories and feel good about my my decision. Yeah, certainly hanging it up with a career that you can feel proud of and being just satisfied with what you've accomplished has got to be a good way to be we actually had greg minar on a couple weeks ago and one of the things that he talked about a bit that i thought was really interesting was that some years ago kind of in his early 30s he was saying that he started to sort of have the thought that oh man like i'm 30 whatever 
I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this and started dabbling in some other business ventures and starting to kind of plan for what would come next and felt like it detracted from his ability to focus and train and really take his racing seriously. And then after a couple of years of that kind of had the realization that, oh man, I'm still competitive. I'm still at the top of the game. I need to drop all this and just get zeroed back in on racing. And he described that as sort of the biggest regret of his career, having not just kept the laser focus for the whole duration there, having had that little hiatus. And um, just, I found that really fascinating and, you know, obviously kind of crazy to look at the career that he's had and have him being like, oh man, I could have done more there. (laughs) But, you know, it makes sense that at some point you have to, you have to start questioning, you know, how long can I keep doing this and have to imagine that you would want to have a plan for, for what comes next. Yeah, that's an interesting point because, and it's, it's fun to hear that, hear Greg's comments on that because that's something that I've always wrestled with is like, because everybody always says, what's your next, what are you doing next? What's your plan? And it's really difficult to get a hundred percent out of yourself if you're not a hundred percent focused on something. And if you always got your foot out the door, like looking for what's next, that's uh, it. As Greg said, it takes away from your racing a lot. And, and also the age thing is, it's just what people tell you really. Like, obviously there is a ceiling to that. We all, we all age, but in our mid thirties, like you're not old. So that's, I definitely, like, I know I can, I could be competitive maybe even for another 10 years, you know, you've, there's, we've got, we know enough about training and and nutrition and all that, that we can, we can maintain, we can maintain top shape for a long time. And when you look at endurance sports, some of the like marathon record holders or the Ironman record holders are all in their forties, you know? So it's like, we're not old as human beings. It's just that traditionally this sport has had a short career and being in your thirties, you like looked at as ancient (laughs) and, and I, I still feel good. I still feel motivated. I just had a test session two days ago with testing some suspension. And I was like, man, I just want to go and race, but, um, it didn't make me question my decision, but it's, it makes me acknowledge like I am still in good condition and we still have like, not just me, but as people, as athletes, we, we've got plenty of potential at, at our age. And, um, it's cool to see Greg still that motivated and that focused and something that I, something that played a lot into my decision was my family and I got four kids and I just don't want the long trips away from them anymore my son's about to turn 13 and realistically you've only got a few more years until they've got their own adult lives and our opportunity to be together just gets diminished then so um, that was the biggest factor I'd say for me is really just acknowledging that to be in the top 10 at the world cup I need to be 100% focused and that means kind of making sacrifices on behalf of the whole family and I chose to focus a little bit more on the family and and there's still plenty I can do and I'll, I'll still be racing crankworks and things like that and um, just try and stay closer to the family a bit more often yeah that's exactly what Greg said about it too is that he was in his 30s and 
it wasn't that he felt like he wasn't still competitive and on it, but it was just that he was looking around and seeing other people retiring around then and thinking like, oh, this is just sort of the normal path. And then his realization was after a couple of years of that, that actually he still felt great and was in the best shape of his life. And that age was just a number that he didn't need to worry about. And as long as he's still feeling good and healthy and competitive, who cares? Just stay on it. It's really true. Your age is, it's not, it's something that now I just don't care how old I am. And it's, it's just how I feel when I wake up in the morning and we try and my wife and I try and make the right decision as best we can each day. And that's, that's what matters. And it doesn't matter. Someone told me recently, um, it's, they called it level 38 instead of turning 38 years old. <laughs> so <laughs> we're just leveling up every year. <laughs> it's a good perspective. It's funny, but it's like, man, why do we, why are we so focused on a number? And we do it in everything in education. We lump all our kids in the same class because of their age. And it's like, I've got four kids and they're all completely different. The number that, like the amount of years since they were born is not the dictating factor. So to kind of pivot back a little bit, looking back on your career, what stands out to you as some of your favorite individual memories or proudest accomplishments from the whole thing? I'm guessing the World Cup win in Vigo in 06 is up there, but curious what else would make that list. Yeah, that's tough to narrow down, actually. I mean, the big standout one was World Championships in Cairns in 2017. For a few reasons, it's like, it's difficult to execute your best run on any given day. And to make that on a particular day in one year is tough. And then to have that on, to do your good run on your home track in front of a home crowd at world championships on that particular minute on the clock in that day is pretty that's hard to execute. And even though, again, I got second, <laughs> second was being quite common for me at world champs, but I executed the run that we had worked towards and planned. And I knew that that was the best I could do on that day. And that was, I mean, having world championships at home with the family, it was five kilometers from mum and dad's house. And all that was, awesome and to be able to execute my run on that day was something that I was really proud of and that that whole experience was that's definitely the most memorable and the hardest and yeah and then other things there's a lot of there's a lot of other races that have been hard and some of them that one of one of the most satisfying races I had which is interesting is um in Val de Sol a couple of years ago and I was really feeling down. I was ready to quit racing halfway down. It started raining right before qualifying and I made a mistake at the top and crashed or something. And I was like, I remember being halfway down the track thinking, I don't even know how I'm going to get to the bottom and got to the bottom. And I was thinking, I just hope I didn't qualify because I don't want to race. And, trying to get out of the finish corral and they're like, you got to go back up. You're doing a rerun. <laughs> and I was like, that's like literally the worst possible thing anyone could have told me in that moment. <laughs> no. But I went from that point of like, I'm going straight to the airport and going home and never riding a bike again. That's how I felt. And then 
I went back to the pits with my mechanic. We had the opportunity to make some adjustments to allow for the weather. And I was just calmed down and did my run and my rerun was, was good and I enjoyed it and got to the bottom and I was excited to be qualified for the final. And the next day I got maybe like 38th or 40th or something like that. I don't even know, but to go from that low point to the following day, executing a run and being somewhat competitive. That was, that's all, that was one of my highlights as well. And it's not like standing on top of the podiums, obviously the highest, the highest point, but it's like, there's a lot of other moments in your career that nobody will ever see that, that, that on the hard days, that's what I'm the most proud of. I really like that perspective. Just the thought that it's not necessarily the results that are the most meaningful, but just feeling like you absolutely put down your best effort and, you know, whatever everyone else does around you and how that stacks up competitively is a little bit secondary to just feeling like you accomplished everything that you could in terms of your execution and nailing your run and what you wanted to do. And I had been meaning to ask about that 2017 world champs at home. You know, I, I could know you had put a ton into, into that race and um, having it in, at cans and home in front of home. It's got to be a bit of an amazing experience, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure how your take on that was going to, going to be, you know, you were, like you said, second behind Loic with a, I forget what it was, but just three tenths of a gap, second gap or something. And you were a good chunk up on Gwyn in third and second and a half or something. And yeah, cause I wasn't totally sure if your perspective was going to be, oh man, like I really just wanted to win that one. And it was kind of bittersweet that I wasn't able to pull it off. But I like that take that you nailed the run you wanted to do and Loic just happened to be a touch faster that day, but you, you did what you set out to do in a way. I like that a lot. Yeah, it was obviously winning was the goal. <laughs> I mean, it was a long, that was 2017. So the first time I got second at Worlds was 23 years before that. <laughs> and it still, I've been second a few times and never won. And that's um, certainly that's something that I would have liked to have achieved in my career, but to have a handful of second places is also quite good as well, even though you don't get the number one. But um, yeah, but that day I was sad to lose for sure. Um, but I also know that I did everything I could and Loic was better on that day. So, And 0.3 of a second better is not that much, but it's enough to, it's enough to separate us. So, And then Loic won three in a row on three completely different courses. So he's just one of the most amazing riders we've ever seen. And that's, it's not so bad to be so close to him. Yeah, he was really on one that season. It also must have been a pretty cool experience to have spent so much of your career racing alongside your sister with Tracy on the circuit too. Uh, are there any particular moments or stories that stand out from sort of the two of you traveling together and being on the circuit together for so long? Yeah, I think the the first World Cup that we did on, on the UR team, that's a big standout for me. Like we... Tracy went from working in the mine back home and I'd had quite a rough, I was having a quite a rough time in my life at that time and, and also had a knee injury going into that season. And then 
we signed for this new team. And even like a few weeks before the first race, I was still like, man, I don't know if I want to do this or not. And I had to go in and get some keyhole surgery to clean up the meniscus in my knee. And then, yeah, three weeks later, we were at the first World Cup and Trace won and I got second in the men's and we were the leading team at that point. It was the first round. So it was a, (laughs) that was a good memory going from like, kind of unsure if this is what I want to do and like just and then suddenly we're the number one team in the world that was that was just amazing and and just any I don't know every race and watching her watching her grow and progress and the amount of work she put in and and that highs and lows and she had some huge injuries and it was just there's lots of little standout points here and there but that whole experience has been amazing from my perspective getting to know Tracy and developing our relationship and it wasn't always easy when at the beginning of the team of of being on the team together we we hadn't really seen each other much for quite a few years because I at that point I had been on the circuit for 10 years and spent a lot of that time living in the US and she was living away from home so even when I went home she wasn't necessarily there um to go from that and we had to kind of get to know each other again and that was sometimes a tough process but it's been so valuable and now we have such a close relationship and it's just a really that's probably the most special part of my career that I remember is being able to do that with with Tracy obviously the the most impressive thing I've seen her do is win the overall world cup in 2019 and being able to stand stand there beside her and and watch everything that she went through and see how she handled the pressure and all that was uh, just an incredible thing to watch and being able to watch that process behind the scenes it just makes you appreciate what it means to win an overall world cup title because it it's not just <laughs> it's not just being fast there's a lot of races that she was she was struggling because she couldn't she couldn't take the risks that she would normally take to win the race because she was protecting, even though she wasn't consciously protecting the overall lead, it's still, that's in the back of your head. And she got to the end of the season and and won it. So she did exactly what she needed to do. And that was really just awesome to see. Yeah, I can imagine that's a real struggle to figure out the right balance of wanting to be you know, winning races and feeling like you're putting it all down, but at the same time having that doubt of, or not doubt, but just needing to make sure that you don't crash, don't have a disastrous result. And with that going on and, and like you said earlier too, the sort of overall quality of the women's field has just been taking off of late. And, you know, there've always been at least a handful of super impressive racers out there going real fast but it's just so much deeper now than it has been in a long time and it's been awesome watching that and it was really cool seeing tracy's win in in 2019 just after kind of the career she's had and putting it all together there was awesome yeah so (laughs) you already said that everyone asks this but i still feel like i need to uh so what do you think is next for you now? You already talked a little bit about still doing some racing with Crankworks events and whatnot, but you mentioned that you 
want to find more ways to continue being in the industry and being involved and being around bikes. So what would your ideal next steps be? What are you thinking? Yeah, well that, um, I'll still be racing. That's what I want to do. And race some race some races that I don't normally get to because I'm focused on world cups and and support some local like support some North American racing do the world they do the not the world cup but um the crankworks series um I'm also doing some testing and development work for a couple of companies and that's something I really enjoy and certainly well I've well I've got my eye in so to speak it's a good time to still be doing that sort of thing and um and then aside from that i'm trying to explore different things i'm gonna work on developing my coaching and and just sort of try a few things out and see what i enjoy and see what see what i get passionate about that's something that something that's been hard for me to just choose something of what to do next is just I haven't found anything yet that I'm really excited about and I think part of that process is going to be trying a few different things and seeing what that is because I know as I reflect like going back to reflecting on my 10 year old self I know the passion and focus that I had then and I know that that's what it takes to be successful so I don't want to just do something because it's an income or um or anything like that. I want to have something that I'm passionate about so that I can do it, do it well. Like I've done my racing well. And I love, I love the cycling industry at mountain biking, road cycling, BMX. What Like I just love the bicycles. So I want to be involved in, and it's, it's what I know. It's, I've got such a long, long career in it now. And it would be, it'd be a pity to step away. And I would be sad to have to step away if that was, what I was meant to do, but I just don't think so. There's so much opportunity and I've got, I've got so many good friends in the industry as well that I'd miss too much if I did something else. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, we're certainly looking forward to seeing what comes next and what you figure out as you move down that path. Yeah. It's a bit of a vague answer, but I'm just not clear in my mind. I'm just not clear in my mind yet. And I want to stay keep doing what I can do and, and learning. Yeah, fair enough. No, you don't have to have the answers yet. I mean, just perfectly reasonable to be at the place where you're like, well, I'm kind of figuring it out. And Yeah, I had a good conversation on that point with one of my old team managers and, and everyone I'd spoke to had been like, oh, cool, what are you doing? Like, basically, like, it was kind of like, oh, you must have something planned and that's why you're stepping away or whatever. And my one team manager, he was – one old team manager, he said, like, you can't expect to finish your contract on the 31st of December and have your new career start on the 1st of January. That's just not going to happen. So it's like, just make sure you give yourself time. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that seems like the right way to go about it. You don't need to have all the answers right away and feeling it out and figuring out what what works for you is probably the right way to go long term. So I think that makes perfect sense. Well, Nick, this has been great. Really appreciate you coming on. Before I let you go, though, do have one last question. The podcast is called Bikes and Big Ideas After All. And so we do like to end by asking people if they have a big idea to share with us. And it can be absolutely anything. Just 
silly off the wall to something serious that you've been kicking around in your head, but anything come to mind for that? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's a clear idea, but I really love what I see with towns structuring around cycling and mountain biking. And, and so I think I'd love to be involved with, with that. And I, I see so much positive about having less cars in town and more bikes and more access. And I, my wife and I ride to school every morning with, with our daughter and, it's just you see people every day and you, it's more relational and people are getting exercise and the kids uh, the kids get to know each other and just i don't know i, I want to see more and more towns and it's happening that's it ha- it's happening in a lot of places which is really cool to see but yeah as far as big ideas i think that's something that i want to see growing more and more yeah more bike infrastructure in towns is certainly something i think we can all get behind so that's a good one yeah where we are, where like where we live, there's a shortage of housing, and uh, they're really developing quickly. And I would love to see at this point in the process, like if you can design mountain bike trails throughout those zones, um, that'd be really cool. BV does seem like a spot that's ripe for that. So fingers crossed that they can get that worked out. I like it. Yeah, and the whole valley, not just BV. I guess a local big idea I'd have is to get the train running up the valley between Salada and Leadville. And there's a few places that have good like steam trains or whatever. It's a little tourist attraction. and But you could have a trail that went all the way down the Arkansas River, down this down the Arkansas Valley and just jump on the train and have maybe like a – have a beer cart or whatever on the train and and you could use it for paddling or whatever. So – That'd be a cool local idea. I'd love to see. That would be sweet. That's another good one. Well, Mick, thanks again. I'll let you get going now, but it's been a pleasure and really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you enjoyed this conversation, then please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. I want to say thanks to Mick for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And from all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.